ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 27 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn about offers, promotions, and more at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Welcome to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Today we are going to do a mailbag episode, and we're going to do a mailbag episode with both versions of the word mailbag and how it's used today. First, I'm going to talk about a couple cards that the mailman actually brought me. It was in a truck. It wasn't in a mailbag. I don't know. When I was growing up, our mailman actually used to walk around from house to house, had a mailbag over his shoulder where he was actually pulling out the pieces of mail and sticking them in your mailbox. Today, a lot of that's done just by a truck driving around and uh, putting the mailboxes or the mail in the mailboxes at the street. But regardless, the first version of the word mailbag we're going to use today is some of the actual pieces of mail that I got delivered to me. And I wanted to hit on that a little bit. And the first one is a Thad Bosley autograph on a 1986 Tops that was inscribed to Mike, best wishes. And that came from Eric Mace. He is working on putting together some autograph top sets. And when he got to Thad Bosley, he sent an extra one in there and asked if Thad would sign one for me as well. And he sent that along to me and surprised me with that random act of kindness and so I am super appreciative. I'm super pumped. I've got that card sitting, staring at me right next to my computer here on my desk in the in the studio office. And so I am excited to have the card that started it all autographed and not only autographed, but made out directly to me. And so that was a really cool piece of mail. And I want to thank Eric again for for sending that my way, you can go check out this the the interview that Eric and I did a couple months ago. It was a great episode, a great interview about his collection that he's building. The second big piece of mail that I got this week was the second most expensive card I've ever purchased. Another example of the reason that I do what I do, the self-sustaining hobby model, the buying and selling to make a little bit extra money to cover the cost of some cards that I want to keep for my own collection. This is the type of thing that I love about doing that because I was able to buy a a nice card, at least nice for me, and I was able to cover that completely with with profits from selling. What card is it? If you've paid attention on social media, you probably saw the TikTok and the tweet that I made about it, but I was able to pick up a 1998 Rock Auto. There's not a ton of these out there. You know, if you listen to Zan Morning, and Tony Vela, you know, the, they're estimated to be maybe a couple hundred of these autos out there. They're not serial numbered or anything like that. And so they're they're fairly limited, but there's a decent supply available on eBay, except for the fact that the price continues to escalate on those. We're in a down market, but the price of these rock autos continues to go up. 
And so I was able to find a PSA 6 version of this card and was able to, to pick it up for, uh, I, I made an offer and the, the seller accepted or countered actually, and then uh, we landed on a price in the middle. And uh, I, I was thrilled to be able to pick this card up. It was my first experience of a card going through the eBay authentication program. Now this one actually, you know, the PSA slab went back to PSA to verify that it was actually original. And I think, um, you know, that was good. I think I benefited a little bit from some poor pictures that were taken by the seller. Um, I, I don't want to say poor, but they weren't as clear as they could have been. Maybe is a better way to say it. And so the, the picture did not do the card justice. And if you looked it up on the PSA database, you could see a, a much more clear scan of the card. And I think that addressed some of the potential concerns that looked like might exist if you look only on the eBay photos that were included. And so I felt comfortable in picking this card up, was happy to add it to my PC, and now it is also proudly displayed on my backdrop in the in the podcast studio. So one of my goals this year was to get a big rock card, and I think this is probably one of the the biggest ones that I could get. You know, I'm not crazy about superfractors and some of that kind of stuff. I, the the autograph of a more scarce or more limited card is more appealing to me than um, a serial numbered card that was just kind of manufactured. Not that I wouldn't love to own one, but I, I don't have the same desire to go out and chase a rock superfractor or a rock out of 10 or gold or anything like that as I did wanting to get this autographed card. So those were a couple pieces of mail that I got this week that got me pretty excited that keep those collecting juices flowing that reinforce why I do what I do of, of buying and selling to make a little profit to be able to cover the cost of some cool cards like this. I also received a few questions from folks out there via email, via Twitter messages, Instagram, direct messages, and that type of thing. And so I'm going to address those questions as well right after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by Collectors for Collectors that breaks new product almost seven days a week now across Facebook, YouTube, and Loop. You can check them out at udogcollect.com to see what they're going to be breaking this week, and you can also visit them at their brick-and-mortar shop in Knoxville, Tennessee to see their full selection of wax, singles, supplies, and even watch some of those breaks live in the shop. If you're interested in grading through SGC, they are an approved group submitter, and you can learn more about how to do that at udogcollect.com as well. When you go check them out, make sure you tell them that Wax Pack Hero sent you. All right, let's dig into a few of the questions that I received the first couple have to do directly with selling. One of the listeners wrote in and said, I've gone back and listened to some of the older episodes. I'm loving the episodes where you discuss selling on sport lots and Comp C, and I'm having a little trouble understanding the seller fees structure on sport lots. Any chance you could explain in an upcoming episode? And I said, sure, yeah, let's do that. Let's hit a little bit on the sport lot selling fee structure it can create a little bit of confusion, especially as you're just getting started and haven't seen it play out with your own you know, firsthand experience yet. And I think one of the biggest things that catches people or, or creates a little bit of confusion for folks on sport lots and the fee structure is that all of the fees are aggregated for the course of the full month and the actual fee you pay is calculated by your full month's totals. And so there's a, a pretty steep 
fee structure, if your sales for the month are, are fairly low, I think it can be up to maybe 75% or 70% or something like that if you only sell 5 or $10 worth of cards in a month. But that gradually goes down to the point where if you sell over $1,000 worth of cards a month, you pay 16% of, of a selling fee there. Um, and so that is a, an important thing to keep in mind. And so it aggregates your sales over the course of the whole month. And then you that fee is applied wherever tier you're in. It is applied at the end of the month and, and that is deducted from your, your payment. The other thing to keep in mind that is somewhat confusing for some people is that they've got a formula that gets applied to higher value cards so that only a portion of that sales price is applied to the fee structure and the rest is kind of basically you don't pay a fee on at all. And so that can really bring down what what effective fees you actually pay for a more expensive card. And so if you sell, you know, like a $50 card, um, you might only be paying fees on $20 of that sales price. I, I don't know that that's exactly right, but there is kind of a, a formula that gets applied so that you don't pay the, the full percentage on the entire sales price of a more expensive card. And that more expensive card starts out as little as over $5. So, you know, if you sell a card for more than $5, that's when the formula starts to get applied to that to reduce the overall effective fee that you're paying. I don't know if I did that justice, but you know, the key thing with sport lots fees is it's based on your monthly sales total, not any, not on an individual basis. However, individual cards that have a high selling price get a little bit of an advantage in that the full selling price is not subject to the fees. The second question I've got this multiple times over the last couple of weeks is how do you use ComC? What do you what do you send to ComC? What ranges of cards sell well on ComC? And I want to hit on that too. And I I always answer with I'm going to talk about what I have the most experience with, and I can't speak definitively on the others, right? And what I have the most experience with, and how I utilize ComC the most, is by sending in cards worth one to twenty dollars. That's the sweet spot for the cards that I send in there. Does that mean that I never send in a card that's worth maybe 75 or 80 cents that I'm going to price at 75 cents? No, there's some of those that sneak in. And I I also from time to time will send a card worth more than than $20, but the majority of the cards I send in are 1 to $20 and I've had a lot of success selling cards in that range. And so for me, that's the sweet spot. I have a lot of success moving cards in that range. That's the the range of cards I want to utilize that service for, and so that's what I do. And so that's the advice that I always give people is to start with cards in that one to twenty dollar range, so you can get a feel for it, and start with sending in maybe one hundred to two hundred cards, so that your initial uh, fee that you have to pay for processing isn't overwhelming as you get started to see if it's going to work for you. And then you can use the sales from those one to 200 cards to build up some store credit that can cover the cost of future submissions so you don't have to pay as much out of pocket as you get ramped up. So that's a little bit about my thoughts on how to get started on ComC and what, what range of values to send in there. The next question comes from Ginger Wisdom on Twitter. He says, what business opportunities do you see unfilled in the hobby? 
For example, collection software, card-specific scanners, etc. When I think about the pain points that I experience both on the collecting side as well as the selling side, there are a, there's two things that I wish we had better solutions for. One of them is collecting software. I think I would love a more user-friendly, more robust way to catalog and store and display and share the cards that I've got in my collection and the sets that I've got in my collection. Beckett has a database that has been around for a long time. I've never used it personally. I've talked to a few people that have. Some people like it. Some people say it's a bit clunky. I think there's a, an opportunity for improvement there within the Beckett database. The card ladder tool, the collection feature of the card ladder tool is really nice and I've used it as well, except that it's really geared towards cataloging, displaying, recording, tracking the values of your higher-end cards. There's not really a, a way that you could utilize that tool to catalog complete sets that you've got, vintage sets that you've got, random, more obscure cards. It would You, you wouldn't really be able to log in the thousand-plus Michael Jordan base and insert cards that I've got utilizing that card ladder tool. It's really more geared towards the higher-end notable cards in your collection. It's really good for that, but but it's not utilized for, it's not a good idea to utilize that for kind of a full robust collection that many people have. And so I think there's improvement opportunities available for some card cataloging, inventorying um, type of, of software. And so that would be one, one idea. Another one that I know there's a lot of work being done right now is, is a tool that can take an image of a, of a card and use some some intelligence to identify what card that is right away. Um, that is something that I know there's multiple companies working on. There's tools out there today that are starting to be able to do that, and those tools are getting better and better, but I don't think they're all the way there yet. That is so handy, especially in this world of parallels and everything that we've got. Knowing what parallel is what can be very challenging if it's not directly labeled on the card. Um, there's also, you know, some more obscure cards, there's oddball cards, there's all of these types of things that you've got to have a lot of knowledge of to even start to do the research on. And if you had a tool that you could just take a picture and, and it was able to hit a database behind the scenes and recognize what that card is, that would be super helpful. I know there are, like I said, tools that are in progress and I think they're going to continue to get better, but whoever nails that first is going to have a huge advantage over everybody else. Another question that came in on Twitter from Chimpy's Cards is, what baseball player or players are you stocking up on now with the pure intention of flipping for a profit? All right, here's, here's the answer that everybody's waiting for. My answer to that question is, any card that I can buy super cheap and turn around and sell and make money on. I don't get into the game of buying a specific player and trying to flip a specific player and wait for a player to break out and, and do all that. I look for opportunities that I can utilize arbitrage on. So when I'm buying these collections of cards for a penny a piece, that's what I'm looking for so that I can turn around and sell them on sport lots or ComC or in my quarter and dollar boxes at the shop and make some money on them that way, regardless of whether they go up and down, whether regardless of whether or not they have a breakout season, become an all-star rookie of the year, get called up, 
all of those things are irrelevant to my ability to take these base and insert cards, buy them for a penny or two pennies a piece, and then sell them for quarters and dollars. That's the approach that I look when I am looking to flip for a profit. It's that arbitrage opportunity, not trying to identify a particular player. So I don't know that that's the answer Chippy was looking for, but that's the answer that I'm able to utilize that has a much lower risk involved of whether or not I'm going to make a profit. I don't have to worry about those, the performance of an individual or specific player. I'm able to aggregate an entire purchase of a, of a whole collection to make money that way. And while we're on the topic of purchasing collections, that, that has to do with the last question that I'm going to answer today. I got an email from a listener who mentioned that he went out and bought a collection of about 25,000 cards. He knows that I sell across multiple platforms and wanted some ideas on how I go about sorting those cards into whatever pile they're going to be sold on in the future, whether I pre-sort them all, whether I organize them all first, or whether I you know, just kind of look up everyone. And I, I would say from a, from a high level, experience has been one of the first things that I was able to gain. After doing this multiple times, the experience of looking through these cards gives me an indication early on whether I am going to put it in one pile or put it in another pile. As I start to go through these collections that I purchase, first of all, the Sport Lots piles those are all going to be cards where I've got a big stack of cards that all come from the same set. I don't use sport lots for one-off type cards. I only use sport lots for cards where I maybe have 50 to a few hundred or a few thousand cards that all came from the same set. So the sport lots pile is going to get all of those. Next is the eBay slash ComC pile, and that one can be a little more tricky, right? Like I said earlier in this episode, I use ComC for those cards $1 to $20. I use eBay for a lot of the cards over $20 that I list directly. So that eBay and ComC pile kind of starts off as the same pile to begin with. All those cards go into the the one pile. Then I start to look up some of those to get a feel for where I want to send those in or where I don't want to send them in and list them directly. The other thing that influences which of those piles goes into one or the other is how many cards I've already got ready to list. I only want to spend so much time selling on eBay. And so if I've got a stack of cards that's already growing pretty heavy, then I will just default more of those going to ComC because they're going to do all the work for me and take care of it that way. The other piece is the cards that I'm going to put into the shop. And a lot of those, I look for the names that move well in the shop. So if there's a few key cards of Jordan, if there's some Cubs cards, uh, Cardinal cards, White Sox cards, Bears cards, some of those teams that move really well here or some of the legends of the game that always continue to move well, people are always looking for, those are the types of things that I'll take into the shop and add to the shop pile as well. So I do some pre-sorting at a high level, and then there'll be some last-minute refining as I start to go through those. But the biggest factor that speeds up the pace of me doing some of that sorting to be able to sell one of these big collections and sell through one of these big collections is the experience that you get from doing it in the past really helps you kind of identify early on where something should go, what's going to be the best selling platform for that particular card or that particular set. And so I hope that was helpful a little bit with some high level ideas on how to start the approach of sorting a collection that you purchase. 
like the athletes we admire. The sports card shop is changing the game. We're not launching threes, bombing drives, or hitting dingers, but we have built a unique gathering spot for all collectors to trade cards, talk sports, play games, and watch their favorite athletes on the big screens. Yes, we've partnered with Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, Tops, Fanatics, Pokemon, and others to bring you all the latest in sealed wax and singles. But the sports card shop in New Buffalo, Michigan is much, much more. Our recent expansion brings collectible sneakers, Hot Wheels, and more sports and entertainment memorabilia into the mix. Our new Collector's Cave Game Room is the perfect place to throw a rip party, bring friends, rip packs, trade cards, play billiards, ping pong, shuffleboard, classic arcade, and Xbox games, all while watching your favorite sport on TV. Visit us at thesportscardshop.com. Follow us on social at underscore sportscardshop or better yet, visit us in person to learn about special events, party packages, new products, and everything we're doing for you. The Sports Card Shop, connecting people, sports, and the hobby around the world. There are my thoughts on a few of these questions that have come in in, in the last couple weeks. I'm always happy to answer any questions that you've got about collecting, about the hobby, about combining the hobby and business sides of things together so that you can have a self-sustaining hobby. Feel free to reach out to me anytime at waxpackhero at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Mike Summer, on Instagram or TikTok at waxpackhero. I want to have that conversation. I want to answer those questions and I want to connect with other collectors out there who have a passion for this hobby that we all love. That is all I have for you today. I'll catch you next time.